Welcome to the Open Air Series Podcasts, the podcast for people already active on open science or people who want to know more about open science, open air, and EOSC. You are all invited. Researchers, repository managers, scholarly works content providers, librarians, policymakers, research funders, entrepreneurs, and citizens. In our podcasts, we introduce the open air portfolio services, how they work, and how they assist you in solving your problems. We complete our approach by presenting how open air enables you to benefit from the EOSC ecosystem and open science. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Open Air Podcast. I'm Giulia Malaguarnera, the Outreach and Engagement Officer of Open Air, guiding you to the open science world, the terminology, and the open access infrastructures. Today, we will speak about publications and open access, interviewing an expert of open science, Elena Giglia, and two service managers of the Open Air Nexus projects. I'm happy to welcome all of you in this episode. Would you like to present yourself first? Yeah, thank you, thank you, and thank you for inviting me and for having me for this interview. Uh, I'm Elena Giglia, I work at the University of Turin in Italy, uh, where I'm head of the um, Open Science Unit, but uh, I've been, I would say, part of this uh, European and international network, uh, supporting and advocating for open science for many years, so my interest is not only in open access, but also fair data, fair data management, research evaluation, so maybe Basically, I would say uh, every component of, of the open science uh, umbrella term. My name is Andreas Czerniak from Bielefeld University Library, and I'm working in Open Nexus as service manager for Open APC. So I am Raphael Tournois. I work at uh, CCSD. CCSD is a research unit based in France. Uh, we are operating three platforms. Uh, one is HAL. HAL is an open archive repository available to anyone in the world. And the second one is ScienceConf. ScienceConf is a platform to organize uh, conferences. It's also available to anyone in the world. And the third one um, is Episcience. Uh, I'm in charge of this platform, Episcience. And Episcience is a platform to publish uh, Diamond Open Access journals. Elena, there is still a misunderstanding about the difference between open science and open access. Would you help us by explaining what are them? You, you are touching uh, a crucial point. Uh, I, I don't know about the situation in, in the rest of Europe, but at least in my country, when I, when I give my training courses or my seminar or simply when I speak to my researchers, uh, there is this common misunderstanding. Basically, uh, they hear, they, you, you say open science and they hear open access. So basically, they try to equate open science and open access. And all the more so, when they hear open, open access, they immediately refer to pay to publish, to predatory publishers, and so on. So there is still here, uh, I would say, uh, a strong need for not only for advocacy, but for training, uh, for simply uh, sharing information about what open access is, uh, what open science is, meaning open access is just one of the components of this wider concept of open science. And when you talk open access, is not just about publishing. 
It's also about depositing, meaning self-archiving in open access repositories is the use of preprints, which during the pandemic showed all their potential, I would say, in early sharing of your research results. And when you publish open access, you know, you have these two traditional routes, the green road, which is depositing, and the gold road, which is publishing. The other misunderstanding is that when you, when you publish in open access, you always pay, which is not true. Because if you go to the directory of open access journals, only 30% of the journals ask for an APC, so for an article processing charges. And I would say the, the other misconception is that the researchers do not perceive the difference between full open access publishers and the hybrid model, which in my opinion is sort of evil, may I say it? <laughs> Thanks, Elena, for the evil model. And uh, actually, it's a very funny way to refer to the hybrid model. Can you tell us more about uh, how the publication models works? Yeah, yeah, of course. So in our traditional model, uh, uh, the traditional model of scholarly communication nowadays is the subscription-based model. Uh, every year, I, I have the data, I think it was 2021, so the data refers to 2020, we spend globally 10 billion dollars in subscriptions okay so this is the traditional model um, if you don't have the subscription to a specific journal you don't have access to the content of the journal and uh, you can imagine your medical doctor uh, spending like 5000 euros or 10000 euros just for one journal so it's it's not sustainable but this is the traditional system uh, some commercial uh, publishers like Elsevier, like Springer Nature, Wiley, Taylor and Francis, uh, they, uh, they provide you a, an open choice, a so-called open choice, meaning that a single article in a subscription-based journal uh, can be made open if you pay. Okay, so that's why it's hybrid because the journal, the entire journal, journal remain by subscription. The single article in this hybrid model model can be uh, open access if you pay. Uh, so in this case, it's true that you always pay okay, to publish, but it's the hybrid model, which is basically uh, technically it's called something like double dipping because you pay twice because you pay for the subscription and you pay for the for the APC. So that's why I was saying I, I was referring to the to the hybrid model as the AVIL, because it's it's a waste of public money, because don't forget that we are talking about public money. Subscription are paid by public money. Our research is paid by public money. So that, that's an issue, really. So what's the difference between uh, journals subscription and article processing charges? I, I would say you need also to clarify the difference among subscriptions and APCs. Because subscriptions are paid every year by every institution. So if the, if the University of Turin pays the subscription to Nature, it's not that the University of Milan can read Nature. They have to pay their own subscription to Nature. So we are paying, every university is paying for the same content, okay, every year. And every year the subscriptions uh, increase. And basically we are cutting off all the people not having a subscription. So we are paying to close, basically. 
when you pay an APC and all the more so an APC in a full open access journal, which do does not have any other uh, revenue uh, system, okay? So they don't have subscription and they have to cover the costs of a sound editorial workflow, okay? When you pay an APC, an APC is paid once and forever, is paid only by one institution, which is the institution of the corresponding author, and they open the content for anyone. So I would say this is a huge difference among subscriptions and APCs. So even though, even when you pay an APC, which is in the 30% uh, of, of all the journal list in the, in the, in the Director of Open Access Journal, you pay, but you pay to open and you pay once, not every year. So it's a huge difference in my opinion. Thank you, Elena. Andreas is uh, an Open Air Nexus service manager administering OpenAPC. Andreas, can you tell us more about uh, OpenAPC and uh, why it's open? OpenAPC is a project since um, 2014. It was started at Bielefeld University Library and have uh, the main topic of making publishing code transparent for libraries, of course. That's the main target institutions but also for funders and other stakeholders. OpenABC is, as the name says, open for article processing charges, um, APCs, but um, this starts with APCs, covers also uh, book processing charges, BPCs, and transformative agreements in the meantime. Why OpenABC is open, transparent for these institutions and organizations, because it is crucial for libraries and uh, also for funders to have an overview of the current amount of publication costs and fees and um, to make a forecast for the future and fits the forecast, the budget of the libraries or could uh, the forecast is also very important for funders to fund some Andreas, by browsing the OpenAPC website, I can see a very nice tree map. Can you tell us more about the information that we can get from it? You see on the website uh, some analytics from the reports of the organizations that are contributing to OpenAPC. Uh, on the one hand, a short report for each organization which covers um, the current uh, data that are contributed to OpenAPC, um, but also some important aspects from the past that we generate from our OpenAPC workflows. Um, and each organization could uh, contribute to OpenAPC very easily. So there's a small set of information that we need from this organization uh, in a CSV file, a common separated file or an Excel file uh, like this. After this, we have a complex workflow uh, to collect further information beyond uh, the DOI regarding uh, is a hybrid journal or is there any more um, to know about this journal directly from uh, DOIJ, from Crossref, from many other things that is shown in articles that we published on our website. And after this workflow, we have an enriched dataset. This dataset is open, available on our GitHub repository. GitHub 
com slash OpenMVC, uh, which could find every contributions from every institutions and organizations that uh, you have seen in our uh, on our website in the tree maps. And um, there you can uh, easily navigate through journals, through publishers, through institutions, and can see uh, which are application fees of these like institutions uh, have paid for these publisher and uh, you can break it down to the record to the concrete um, article and the, the UI and the title of this article you get a short report from our blog website from mobile PC at the moment and you have uh, where you receive a dedicated report on uh, the articles that you are contributing to OpenABC with the enriched information during our workflow. And that's a good, very good overview for you regarding the average of uh, your APCs in this year, in the previous years. Uh, let's also take a closer look to each publisher. That's a whole report that you can get from our side. Thanks, Andreas. Coming back to Elena, what is the transformative agreement? Why collecting this data is so important? Yeah, um, in the past years, there was this new model called transformative agreements. Uh, problem is we have really different levels among countries because in some countries, institutions do have the data about how many uh, articles are published, uh, how much every institution spent for subscriptions and for APCs. Uh, in other countries, like in, our, in my country, in Italy, we do, not, we do not have the data. So, and even when, when you talk transformative agreements, it's not just one model. We have different models, uh, like more innovative models, more comprehensive ones, or more, I would say, basic ones. Okay, so it, it's it's again a very complex uh, environment. But I would say what is important is that the institution is aware of how much uh, they spend on subscriptions, on APCs, and so on. And that's not always the case. And if I may say, uh, even researchers should be aware of how much the institution spent the institution spent because when i when i give my training and i ask to my researcher here at the university of turin do you know how much money the university the li the university library system is spending every year in subscription and they have no clue really no clue and when i told them we are spending every year 4.4 million euros they really they look like, you know, it's a big surprise, I would say, because they, they can't imagine the, the amount of money we are spending. And it's crucial for them to know, because if not, you have the common reaction of a researcher when you talk open access. But why should I pay to publish? Today, reading is for free. Problem is, it's for free because they don't know about the 4.4 million we spend every year. So because it's not out of their pocket, you know, it's out of the pocket of the library system. So that that's, again, another misunderstanding and you need you need to clarify. Thanks, Elena. I think that the strength of OpenAPC is indeed to be open. 
so the researchers can consult, while founders and institutions can use the data for making a forecast of the cost. Um, Andreas, uh, who is currently using OpenAPC? We have around more than 400 contributors to the OpenAPC project currently, with a, for a wide range from countries in Europe, starts in Germany with Charité, also Bielefeld Library, of course, goes over associations like Helmholtz and Leibniz, also consortia like Copperer from France. We have contributions from Sweden and Finland, but also from other regions of the world, from Canadian, from Asia, from Australian, and not so far from uh, Latin America. So for researchers, that is uh, very, on the one hand, informative, see the publishing codes of articles in different uh, journals. It is also interesting for the libraries to compare these publishing codes and subscription codes uh, with other organizations and institutions. And back to researchers, it's also one field of librarian researchers to see uh, what are the important aspects or agreements with publishers and how can deal with this? So, Are the research institutes responsible to pay for the publications? No, I, I would say it's, uh, it's on the funder. So, and, and for instance, the European Commission is doing so. So they require uh, for all the outputs uh, of, of European funded projects to be open, but they reimburse the, the fees. The, I would say if you pay, uh, in a full open access journal. And this is a huge uh, novelty introduced in Horizon Europe. So you are reimbursed only if you pay in a full open access journal. If you if you go for an hybrid journal, you can't be reimbursed because again, it's double dipping. So it's a waste of public money. Uh, so I would say it's the responsibility of the funder or the institution, if the institution has the money. But what... Uh, what I would suggest here is the wider concept that the institution should take care of publication. Publication is the last step in the research workflow, but it's crucial because research is an incremental process. So if you, if you as a researcher, if you don't have access to what your fellow researchers uh, invented or, or founded before you, then you reinvent the wheel because you know the wheel is useful and if you don't know that the wheel has already been invented you are going to reinvent the wheel every day so it, it's true that it's the last step in the in the research workflow but it's crucial it's crucial so institutions and funders should take care also of the publication step which can mean that they fund you to publish in an open access journal or they pay, they fund uh, an open infrastructure to openly disseminate your research. So we mentioned before uh, the two models in, in open access, the green road, so the depositing and the gold road, uh, the publishing. But we uh, lately we had a, a third one, which is the diamond model which is a model in which um, nobody pays, meaning nor the readers, 
in form of subscription or the authors in form of APCs. So the journal basically is free for, for authors and for readers, and it's the institution taking care of the costs of a public uh, infrastructure, an open infrastructure, uh, to disseminate the results. Okay. For instance, at the University of Turin, we have a platform uh, to publish open access journal. We are hosting uh, 35 open access journals and they are completely for free because the costs are covered by the institution. I think it's really an institutional duty uh, to provide access to the research output of, of its researchers. And it's, it, it has been, I would say, uh, time is up. Okay, because the, the, the scholarly communication has been delegated to commercial publishers for too long. So it's time that, that the, the community, the, the, the researchers, the, the research performing organization are taking back, uh, have to take back control on, on scholarly communication, uh, which means also funding uh, open infrastructure to disseminate either a journal or um, a, pub a publishing platform like is Open Research Europe in uh, in Europe, but they they need to take care also of the costs. Thank you, Elena. What you said suits uh, the idea behind the creation of uh, EpiScience or EpiSons. Raphael, can you tell us more about it? So the idea behind EpiScience was to to make it possible to researchers to um, to be able to own their own way to publish the journals. It means that uh, we are not dependent on a publisher. They can organize themselves to publish uh, their journals. And uh, the idea the idea was also to be able to publish journals on top of open open archives. So it means that you can add values value to um, preprints, for instance. So let's say you have a preprint that is uh, available on archive, you can make it more useful and interesting um, after several versions and uh, feedback from the re reviewers. And then in the end, if the article is accepted by the journal, it can be published. What are the main features of uh, Epicience? So we started Epicience to be able to uh, publish um, overlay journals. Uh, it means that we give more power to the researchers so that they can be able to publish uh, the journals by themselves without relying on the commercial publisher. Yes, the model is absolutely a diamond open access model. It means that there is no fee charged to the authors or the readers. Everything is uh, freely available. Uh, it is available actually on the open archive repository and also on the journal white page. Yes, uh, we support uh, AL, uh, Archive, Zenodo, and uh, we're planning to add uh, BioArchive and MedArchive. Elena, do you know any other alternative uh, uh, scholarly communication models? Yeah, indeed, because, you know, uh, we are still using the journals, okay? So journals uh, born in, in 6065, and we are still using this, this model, this channel to communicate. Uh, actually, now we have the web, we, we have the internet, so we could, first of all, we could disseminate and we could make available not only the final synthesis, which is the article paper, the, the, the article, but we, we can uh, open up the entire workflow 
meaning your initial hypothesis, the data, the code you use to process the data, the workflow, the, I don't know, the methodology, basically everything, every step of the research. And for instance, we can do it in Open Lab Notebook. I would suggest you to, to have a, an entire <laughs> podcast about Open Lab Notebook because I, I see Open Lab Notebooks as the future in scholarly communication because basically they are a virtual environment containing anything, uh, a textual, uh, I would say, wording, meaning the methodology, the explanation of your hypothesis, but they also contain data, they contain executable code, so they, they, can, they can really be the box, okay, the containing box of your research. Then you have experiments with uh, with preprints, um, so um, research outputs not published in in a journal, but simply uh, shared as early as possible in in repositories. And then you have added value services based on repositories. So really, we we if we can get rid of journals, and that of course imply uh, implies. Uh, changing the research assessment criteria. So if we can get rid of, of traditional journals, we can have really uh, a huge lot of innovative tools, channels, uh, some new experiments. So we can really uh, make the, the, the best out of, of the internet and the web. In the case of uh, episcience or episcience, who owns the journal? Yes, what is important is that uh, the journals are owned by their scientific communities. So scientists uh, do have their, the, the ownership of uh, their tool to publish the journals and also to the, the title of the journals, of course. Publishing in episcience means publishing faster, isn't it, Raphael? We are able to publish uh, really faster because uh, the preprint is uh, already available on, for instance, archive. And then, so you, it can be uh, discussed and cited by uh, other preprints or other journal articles. So the first version is already available during the process of reviewing. And then when there is a second version, it is also available on the open repository. So everything is, is available uh, at the, the fa uh, faster. Because for instance, if you submit to traditional journals, uh, you would have to wait maybe, let's say, 12 months to be able to see the article online. With the, the overlay journal model, everything is available uh, right now. So you don't have to wait between the small versions to, to consult the documents and to cite them and to discuss them, yes. Why for episciences is important to be part of OpenAI? Uh, being part of OpenAI is really important for episcience because uh, we, have been added, we have been able to, uh, to add uh, value to uh, our publication process. Uh, for instance, we have uh, added uh, much richer metadata able to enrich the metadata thanks to the OpenAI Research Graph, for instance. Uh, we also have added uh, more information with uh, Open Citation, and uh, we are now able to, to connect uh, episcience journals to Zenodo also, either for the publication of uh, documents or because uh, we can use Zenodo as um, a data repository to be able to add data to published articles. We're also using, taking advantage of OpenL usage counts to be able to report usage statistics for our journals, which is, which is a really a nice added value. Uh, and it is possible because we are ingesting our metadata who uh, OpenAI provide, which is also a useful service to be able to, uh, 
to get more information and to push our metadata to the OpenAI Research Project. Thank you, Rafael. This year, EpiScience is turning 10 years, so expect novelties on the interface and the user experience. Moreover, thanks to the internal collaboration in the OpenAir Nexus project, EpiScience and Open Citations are collaborating in order to provide more statistics and extract citations from the journal. So follow us for new updates. If you would like to know more about OpenAir services, you can visit the, uh, the OpenAir service catalog and browse through them at catalog.openair.eu. I'd like to thank Elena, Andreas and Rafael for their participation in this episode. In the next one, we will dig more deeper in what are the repositories that we mentioned today. Follow our podcast and see you soon. Bye-bye. This is the Open Air Series podcast. You can find the links to whatever articles, services, and products we mentioned on our Open Air blog and stay connected with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. If you found this podcast valuable, share it and invite your friends and colleagues. We love hearing from you, so please email us your comments, feedback, and suggestions for future guests. Thank you.